Welcome to Reboot for Connection, the podcast dedicated to understanding connection at work. This is where we talk to leaders, communications professionals, and other subject matter experts about how organizations are now intentional about designing for connection in the workplace. Real connection to people, mission, and the work itself. We explore what can be achieved when this is approached as a strategic initiative. My name is Jürgen Abo, and this podcast is brought to you by ScreenCloud. Now, let's get into the good stuff. Hello, everyone. Today, I am joined by the brilliant and fabulous Ginny Lisk, people and cultural partner at Unleashed, with whom I share my passion about all things people. So welcome, Ginny. Hi, Markella. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming. Um, I might be fangirling throughout this video, but yeah, uh, I'm a huge fan of Ginny and we're so, so grateful that she's here with us because she has plenty gems of knowledge to share with you today. So um, let's get going. Um, Ginny, everybody who knows you knows how passionate you are about people, people design, and it might sound a bit too cliche, but what is so wonderful about people and how they can connect with each other? Okay, um, so I guess a couple of questions. What's so wonderful about people and what's so wonderful about how people connect with each other? So I think the reason that I am passionate about people, there's plenty of them, um, but at its core is just that I think that every single part of what we do and certainly every single business is a people business, right? Um, we all rely on people um, that we work with and that we collaborate with um, every single day. We spend most of our waking lives at work. Um, so I think people in the workplace is strategically something that's really important and that every company should be investing time and energy into. Um, from a connection perspective, I think that progressively more and more, um, although still there's work to be done, um, my kind of field of work has been moving in the right direction in terms of less of this traditional version of HR. And anyone that knows me, including you, will know that I don't actually like saying HR. It makes me feel a bit icky. I talk about people experience and I think that the people, people of the future have got slightly different skill sets perhaps to what has historically always been in that kind of HR role where it's tend to center in more kind of command and control and administration and um, less about actually being designers, right? Like starting from a place of empathy and designing for people. Um, I think people experience exists because people exist, right? And we all have lived experience and we come to work, but we bring ourselves to work and our entire lived experience um, is relevant to the workplace as well. So I think there is this whole kind of emerging area of people experience that, like I say, is a, an evolution of, but hopefully quite a distinct uh, marked <laughs> difference between um, yeah, that and like I say, more traditional old school kind of versions of human resource management humans aren't resources right like no no, no. <laughs> they're human it's it's interesting how you say that about how we're not there yet do you feel like 220 has kind of pushed the fast forward button in terms of how 
we understand people and understanding how we think, how we connect um, in the workplace from a maybe neuroscience and also uh, psychological perspective. Mm. This year has been a bit of a forcing factor. I think that there is um, quite a lot of quite pacey decision-making that's happening off the back of that though. And I think that people in my field are um, potentially making some of those quite pacey decisions. We don't actually know enough, right, to be kind of hedging our bets on what people are gonna need and want moving forwards. However, it's really important. And I think businesses have been forced to recognize. And it's also, so recognize what people need, but it's also the fact that I think this pandemic is such a, a leveling factor. It's applied to everyone globally and there are power dynamics in businesses, right? There are generally people who have more access to yeah. vision, strategy, agility, decision-making that impacts to different degrees of impact. And it, that all goes out of the window when we're all in this situation. So what I also think has happened is that people in companies have felt more like they've had the permission to say what they want. This has given them the kind of forced voice and perhaps sadly in some organizations, um, there wasn't the psychological safety beforehand to say, actually, this is what an individualized experience of work means to me. Um, and I do think there's some of that. So I think it's, it's making leadership look more at kind of the future when it comes to their people and what they want and need, but it's also giving people from more of a, another horrible phrase, right? Bottom up perspective, you yeah. know, the permission to be like, look, this is, this is something that I need us to make sure that either from uh, the opportunities that this has created for people to work in a way that works better for them or from the incredibly difficult and potentially quite anxiety inducing situations that people have found themselves in to be able to say this needs to not happen on a, a kind of ongoing basis. So yeah, I think it's, it's definitely a forcing factor. It's also a, a kind of quite enabling factor for most people um, at work. Yeah, for sure. And as people find this, it's, it's hard for them because their voices are forced and I'm sure they are faced with scenarios. They, they just learn how to navigate. Mm. Um, I can imagine the pressure on the leaders as well. Um, but so what are some like leadership is in the spotlight? Yeah. What do you think are some aspects of leadership? certain skills that leaders should be focusing on to overcome uh, the current stranger times. And actually, it's funny that you said new normal because I was seeing an ad and now the new term is the new different. <laughs> the new different. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I think you mentioned neuroscience, right? So I think the first thing is, and it's, and it's also some of the stuff where I'm talking about kind of how my field of work needs to evolve. It's actually recognizing a little bit more of the neuroscience in and of itself is quite a kind of new field, but understanding more about just how we work as human beings. Um, and again, less of this command and control a business exists to make force its resources of humans to act and behave in a certain way and to make certain decisions and much more of a kind of humble, actually, we need to enable you all and get out of your way because we trust you to make the right decision. It's a, it's a kind of reversal of mindset and, and a big part of understanding 
how to be effective there is to understand, yeah, like I say, how our brains work. There's a book called Social uh, by Matthew Lieberman, which, so his methodology is to use kind of MRIs and brain scanning and put people into different situations and, and look at kind of active parts of the brain in those situations. And there's questions around kind of the, the methodology and it's, it's a really interesting book, but what I took away from it as a people person is that our brains work in peaks and troughs. We fire and then we have kind of downtime. We're not constantly in this kind of hypervigilant state, right? We ebb and flow. And in those kind of downtimes, our brains are, the parts of our brains that are active are the parts of our brains that are, are kind of concerned with social connection, uh, interaction. We will think about other people. We will think about what people think of us quite subconsciously all the time. And that kind of study I think is really interesting. And, and it, it is evidence as to why, yes, from a strategic leadership perspective, businesses need to be thinking about actually how we work, how we are fundamentally wired as human beings. Um, it used to be the case that, you know, we thought about pain and reward so that people do things for reward and people avoid things that feel painful. But we know that it's much more nuanced now. And we talk about empathetic leadership, compassionate leadership, the ability to take a step back, pause and understand and put yourself in someone else's shoes is really, really crucial. And I think you know, that is the kind of leadership that really is getting kind of surfaced at the moment in this, in this time. Bad leadership has been outed, right? All the way down to internal communications around redundancies that haven't been handled well, have been whistleblown. There's stuff on the internet, we can all read it. So yeah, it's, there's been a spotlight on leadership, but I think it's the people who are potentially already on this journey that have kind of come out the other side looking better. And it all does come from being compassionate, being emotionally intelligent. Um, I think leadership positions or oh, senior positions, uh, decision-making positions in businesses were historically, traditionally quite associated with almost the opposite skill set, right? Like not being empathetic, not being compassionate. Those were always viewed as perhaps even weaknesses. And that actually it's kind of far more aggressive tendencies and behavioral kind of approaches that were rewarded and sometimes incentivized. Um, there's been a few studies around um, psychopathy tests uh, and people in senior positions scoring quite highly, um, which is not necessarily in and of itself a bad thing, which is also interesting. But um, yes, I think the what good looks like in leadership is also on a journey. And I think that it needs to center much more in emotional intelligence being as recognized and rewarded for leaders as book smarts or decision-making intelligence or negotiation intelligence. There's a new kind of flavor to leadership. It's very interesting you talk about emotional intelligence or EQ in mm. shorter terms. Yes. Um, but it's it's definitely a skill that we can all work on, right? It's we're not born with it. Maybe yes, we have we might have the pre uh we might have it as a strength, as like you're strong in let's say uh implementation or mm -hmm. 
you're stronger in organization, like some people might be have empathy as their strength, but it's definitely as any other skill um, you can build on it, right? Yeah. Any of us, arguably, um, it's the 10,000 hours theory, right? Um, any of us, if we wanted to, could learn a new language, yeah. play an instrument. Um, there is not enough time to go into kind of, you know, the nature and nurture sides of how we all develop and adapt as human beings. Um, but there is, there is proven uh, concept of, it's not concept, uh, neuroplasticity exists, right? So um, in the same way that any of us, if we are doing something for the first time, are likely to be nervous about it, uh, anxious about the fact that you know, this is where a lot of imposter syndrome can come from. Like, I don't, I haven't done this before. Or I haven't done it enough to feel super confident in it. And, um, interview. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can, you can learn, right? You practice, you lean in uh, and all of that good stuff. But from a sci more scientific perspective, um, we can essentially strengthen parts of our brain. Um, this is a, a, a very generalized kind of, uh, in a nutshell version of it. And over time, the kind of, neural connections that we're building that we're strengthening will overtake ones and you will find yourself weakening other ones completely not consciously um and so if if we want to get good at being compassionate leaders if we want to start with empathy if we want to hone our emotional intelligence i mean there is a there is a scale of emotional intelligence that exists at different kind of levels and it's yeah, as with all of these kind of models probably fairly flawed to certain it doesn't apply to every single person people are unique individuals but the theory absolutely is accurate that practice makes perfect right so if there are leaders out there who are like well i don't agree with a compassionate approach to leadership and it's not for me and i can't do it that's just not true you just need to try and practice and stick with it and you can get better at it you can build emotional intelligence and it's never too late to try what something I really love about you, Jean, is that you see people as a palette of colors and different shades. So it's not, things are usually not as black and white as sometimes we they try. Never are. We're not. People don't exist in categories and people do exist in modes, right? So at different times, it's the, it's the really good example is the really crap corporate, like, appraisal right the annual appraisal where you don't have necessarily emotionally intelligent bosses leaders managers around you you don't have good conversations throughout the year and then once a year you basically are put into this kind of test it becomes a test and how you pass it will put you in a box you'll be given a letter or a number you know some form of very fixed rating that sits with you for the next 12 months like that is horrendous behavior it's it's really shitty approach to leadership and it's really lazy right people are not boxable you can't put them into things and say you're this type of person and you've got you've done this well um and then not recognize that actually any person at any time bearing in mind this kind of lived experience piece we're talking about right people come to work but they bring their whole selves to work People ebb and people flow and people change and people need different things at different times. Um, we are all 
beautifully, wonderfully nuanced. It is not black and white. It's just not. That was very, very well put. And since we are talking about leadership, um, yes, there is this part of like how we, we communicate in the workplace and how we connect. But what about connecting as leaders, the people to the mission and the vision of, of the company? Mm-hmm. Um, because we need to connect them in order to not just achieve uh, any kind of impact. We want long lasting and long-term impact. So one of the kind of bugbears for me of being a people person um, and being of a certain age uh, and having seen a few iterations of (laughs) HR becoming hopefully a little bit more of an evolved kind of approach is that I've seen the kind of the good way and the bad way right and it's been quite frustrating like I say one of my bugbears is that often kind of thinking about brand right it's employer brand how you connect from that perspective with your people has always kind of been like the lesser to a commercial brand right and I have always been like if you will invest the time and the energy and the money as you obviously will because businesses obviously exist to be successful communicating what it is you build to your customer and putting a lot of you know very intelligent people onto that mission as part of your business why would you not invest in the same amount of kind of um yeah time and effort to make sure you're effectively communicating internally and building your internal brand with your people now the reason that i'm talking about brand is because when we're talking about visions and missions and attaching people to them um too often it becomes a branding exercise it becomes let's do some really and you know i am a huge fan of really effective strategic communication and it's important but there is a piece missing which is really about like your value proposition um and this is a really good example of kind of this evolution of approach as well from the kind of people experience perspective so a value proposition you'll have heard about an evp an employee value proposition has tended to always sit with sat with benefits hard value right what's my salary if i sit in this role for x amount of years how will my salary move what are the benefits what's the value of those benefits financially it's all been centered in a very traditional interpretation of value proposition which doesn't do justice to everything we've been talking about in terms of how nuanced human beings are and how social connection is important and how fulfillment is important. All of that stuff is actually what I think the kind of contemporary value proposition EVP should be. Um, So you should be able to, regardless of your business, right? Regardless of how there are, there are charities, there are B Corps, there are very noble businesses There are businesses where impact has potentially quite a unique definition. But every single company, no matter what you do, you're doing it to solve a problem. Businesses don't scale if they're not meeting a need. So how can you articulate that need in a way that means that people are joining your business who also share you know, some sort of level of desire to, to solve that problem? Um, how can you then use that attachment to a mission and to a vision of the future to create a value proposition that means that people get fulfillment, that people understand why you, Mr. or Mrs., hopefully, leader, 
get out of bed every morning and work really hard. Like, why do you do it? And if I understand why you do it, it is far more likely that I can opt in to also wanting to do that. And I think there is also a, so you might have heard there's, um, there is a, a bit of a debate in the people world around whether you should ask someone an interview when they're going to leave, right? Like, what are you going to do next? What does this role mean for you and your career? Where does this get you? And there are nicer ways of putting it. Some people will say, when are you going to leave? And actually, I'm like, that's fine. That's, that's this idea that right now, in the mode that I am in, I care about your business and I care about your mission. This has a value proposition for me that is more than just the kind of traditional interpretation of reward, but is actually fulfilling, rewarding, gives me an opportunity to grow, gives me an opportunity to learn, gives me an opportunity to bring myself to work, my whole self, to connect with people who I want to connect with, to collaborate effectively. And then at some point, you may no longer have that mutually aligned sense of mission. And that's great because someone has had an awesome time with you and they now know this value proposition doesn't exist for me anymore. That's not a bad thing. And I think that's why historically, or one of the contributing factors to why a value proposition for an employee has always been money, right? It has always been something hard and measurable and very quantifiable. Um, so yeah, I look forward to seeing businesses get better at connecting people around like a movement, around energy, around yeah, a why, right? Simon Sinek, start with why. Always start with why. Like how you describe people suddenly reminds me of how marketing operates and finding your product market fit, but also yes. like I always love to compare jobs to relationships, but yeah, sometimes like you love, love mm. the company, but you're in different pace of your life. Like you've reached this X amount of growth, like you built up yeah. those and stuff. And then yeah. afterwards you're like, now I'm ready to move on. I'm ready for a new challenge. And that's, that's totally normal. So And that's people experience, right? That's understanding across the whole I don't know, call it what you would like to, employee life cycle yeah. journey. Um, that at every stage, from the moment that a, a human being would find out that your company exists and through what is probably therefore your shop window to your EVP, right? Your employer brand is how you represent your valuable position externally, all the way through to joining your business, onboarding into your company. Don't get me started around what's wrong with onboarding in lots of businesses, which should be... Uh, given a lot more time and effort and energy and much more experiential and much more about a value add um, it's the all the way through. On the life cycle customer journey, onboarding is the number one thing to turn someone into a And people remember it. People remember it when they've been at your business for three or four years. They remember their early stage experiences. And yeah, all the way through to hopefully being with your company for, look, as long as humanly possible, right? I'm not saying we want to be churning through people and people matter and there is uh, companies that should be investing in this because they want to retain people who are connected, share the mission, are hungry, are motivated, want to have impact. But this idea that you have a job for life, right? is so old school. The idea that even, I mean, that's incredibly old school, but even the idea that if someone wanted to leave, that would necessarily immediately equate to a negative conversation. It doesn't have to, right? So yeah, I think it's, 
I think it's about at any given time a business being able to really, really effectively articulate the why. Why are we doing this? Why is this important? Why is this going to have impact? This is the kind of impact we want to have. How, what are we holding ourselves accountable to in terms of impact as a business? If you can do that, then you allow people to, yeah, opt in or out, right? An interview process should be as much about someone deciding, actually, I'd like to opt into this as it is about them saying, do you know what? This isn't right for me. That's fine. That is, that's what we want, right? That's a good thing. Okay. We, we, you, you talked about mission and how we connect to it, but especially right now, there's been a lot of, um, it's hard to find the balance to provide what's good for everyone and also doing good in the mm. world um and i i think that leaders really struggle to find this balance and usually like it's this kind of question of growth versus people usually if you need to have aggressive startup growth you have to like let your people experience go it's like people see them as trade-offs and what's what's your take on that and how do you think that leaders should run this balancing exercise? I think it all boils down to the fact that they're, as I said, right at the top, right? Every business is a people business. Everybody who set up a business at some point is going to need to rely on growing numbers of people to help them. Um, so they're not mutually exclusive. You know, growth and success and doing the right thing and treating people the right way are not mutually exclusive. In fact, I believe quite passionately that success comes from making the right decisions. Um, and that doesn't mean not having difficult conversations and not making difficult uh, decisions, but bringing people with you and making sure that you care about how people are experiencing mm. all of those decisions and all of the outcomes. So they're, they're one and the same thing. I think they're entirely interlinked. And I think that you know, and it's also how do you define success? There are businesses out there who are financially very successful, but have very well-known reputations for not being what I would call in a good place to work, right? Not creating the kind of people experience that I, as a people person, am motivated to create. Lots of people um, looking at uh, cap tables and balance sheets would say those are very successful businesses. So... I think it all again comes back to really clearly articulating what your people experience actually is. Because some people want to go into oh, more horrendous terminology from old school environments, but high octane environments where you're really competitive and you're going to burn out, but you're going to earn loads of money whilst you burn out. And for some people that is legitimately something that they'd like to do. That's not, I don't work for those businesses, right? That's not my kind of people experience. Mm. I believe that companies can do both, can be successful and also treat their people well. And actually I think the future that I like to believe in is one where successful businesses are more successful because they've treated their people well. I'm a dreamer, maybe. No, uh, I'm 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 a hundred percent with you. Okay. It has it has to be that way, I think, um, because people are more discerning, right? And people want people know what they want, um, and I think people will choose not to work with and stay with businesses that don't think like this. So, hmm. 
they are they're the same they're not mutually exclusive but how like you mentioned about having tough decisions and i i do believe it is a part of being connected when when you connect in the company a part of it can be con like addressing conflict but in a constructive kind of way yeah um what are some ways like as individuals we can connect better in the workplace um i think conflict resolution should be one of these but what other some things we should be doing um irrespective of being in a leadership position or not um i think there's a couple of things um they're kind of intimidated but i think particularly growing businesses startups scale-ups businesses that are on some sort of growth journey a very palpable growth journey where we're trying to create a culture where people want to be part of that growth right and want to see see it through um i think in those types of environments feedback's really important and i think that feedback's really hard um giving and receiving feedback is difficult um there are ways to do it and there are ways to normalize it um to go back to a bit of neuroscience people actually have quite strong kind of fight or flight responses to oftentimes someone just saying I'd like to give you some feedback. Like, you know, that feeling where you're like, oh God, because it feels very personal because it's about you, an individual. So there's ways of disassociating the subject of the feedback with the target of the feedback. There's ways of making sure that we can tell each other what we think and be honest and open and transparent and apply some critical thinking, right? We want to continuously improve and it's hard to do that in this kind of very nice, um, kind of vacuum where no one is having an honest conversation. Um, but again, feedback is something that neuroplasticity means that we can get better at, we can practice it. it can, it's a skill and it's, um, it's something that you'll, you'll see people who have potentially had more experience, and it's not a years of experience thing either, it's just exposure to safe environments of feedback. And those people will feel, they will lean in and move towards feedback more easy to just avoid it right because it feels kind of gnarly and scary so i think but i've kind of also touched upon the safety piece right so psychological safety underpins everything psychological safety is essentially boiled down to a kind of a fear or a concern of like a judgment an assessment what you say equating to a kind of amended behavior from someone else and if that is amended behavior from someone who is more senior than you mm. then that can be quite paralyzing levels of kind of fear so we need to have cultures that are psychologically safe google did a, a really famous study it's called the aristotle study and it's google right when we don't all have google levels of kind of time and resource but what what is awesome about it is that it's one of the few rare studies in my kind of field of work that's properly robust really longitudinal some uh, some proper statistical analysis applied um and they looked at essentially the dynamics of what makes an effective team um and what was found was that psychological safety is it's like don't pass go if you don't have this you can do all the other stuff on top of it but it's never going to be as impactful as if you just start with creating psychologically safe spaces um, so yeah we need to have companies where people feel like whatever they say is going to be received and 
it's not this kind of, I also don't believe it's like, a, there's no such thing as a stupid question. I mean, I love the idea behind that, right? I want everyone to say what they think. But at the same time, you are in a company, there are behaviors. The reason that companies have values, for example, is to make sure that we know that broadly speaking, we want to add diverse perspective, but it is about channeling that into some continuous improvement and omission. Um, companies are weird societies, right? We kind of bring all these people together and we're like, right, work together. So one of the things we need to create is systems of on the basis of psychological safety, critiquing each other's work, honestly and openly and wanting that. Like I am very lucky to work with a group of people at the moment where if I ask them to critique my work, they can be properly critiquing it. And I am genuinely over the moon to have that to have that perspective, to have that kind of mirror held up to get that feedback. So I think it is, you know, there's lots out there. Kim Scott's radical candor, right, is yeah. massively famous and well-known. And I don't necessarily think that none of these things in and of themselves are perfect, but where I've seen businesses try to implement radical candor, it's not actually implemented the way that it's written, right? There is so much bias in this stuff. So actually yes proper psychological safety proper cultures of feedback where critiquing giving each other kind of the honest perception is a good thing that builds a relationship and makes it stronger not a scary thing that means that you're less likely to go and ask that person for their feedback again like that's what we need to try and try and get to i think mm, it's interesting how you make a link between our individual actions to um, being a mirror of our company culture and um, individual traits that in people, but that you can then have them in a more bigger level and yeah. how they can make us uh, people, people need structure. Um, people need some sort of, and by structure, I think specifically, I mean, people need to have managed expectations. Um, so we all need some degree of feedback because we all need to know where we stand, right? We need to know what good looks like, what we're doing at the moment. And if there's a gap that we want to bridge, whether that's in skills, delivery or behavior, we need to know that. So companies do need to have some sort of kind of codes that they can implement that help people, but it should be to help people on the basis that we want. What we want is self-correcting teams. What we don't want is old school, traditional, top-down management. What we don't want is command and control. We want to be able to get out of everyone's way, but it's not fair to just leave people with nothing. Getting out of their way is not the same as abandoning people, right? So we need to, we need to have some sort of structures in business um, and in company cultures but it needs to not be overbearing and it needs to be inclusive and it needs to take into consideration that people do bring their whole selves to work. Um, it needs to feel individualized. It needs to, it needs to evolve from what historically it's been. Um, but there's a kind of, there's a happy medium between overbearing intervention and work out as you go along. Um, that's not fair. Mm. Um, you just talked about inclusive cultures. How mm -hmm. can you, like, there is a, 
everybody's talking about diversity and inclusion right now and from our conversations and the content you've shared you believe that inclusion precedes diversity so can you please talk a bit about that because i know you have some very very interesting thoughts on um yeah happily and i think it's um look what's happening in business at the moment is something that is a long time coming and should have been happening for much longer um it's good that people are cottoning on but i think there is also a risk that what people are worrying about again is they're going straight to the perception they're going straight to that i have to do this because everyone else is doing this and mm -hmm. we don't want performative action right um so the reason that i talk about inclusion preceding diversity is that if you are not inclusive you can aim to and do all the work in the world to be more diverse but a diverse range of people coming into what is still quite a kind of homogenous culture means that they will just leave because they don't belong they don't feel like they belong so we have to create inclusive spaces in order to be diverse and um, we all know that more diverse companies are more successful companies and uh, breed better uh, kind of when we're talking about continuous improvement and you know critiquing and finessing that is far more likely to happen when you've got a range of perspectives in the room um, I also think we need to think about how people intersect right so where I was saying we are not this kind of categorizable we all exist in boxes piece that I believe in that in every interpretable way shape or form all of us are the product of nature nurture our environments our cultures what we've been exposed to the decisions that we've made so actually people need to think about how can we include the biggest range of perspective um, there is a there's an interesting debate therefore around company values so are have does having company values mean that actually you're just bringing people in who on the basis of those shared values are the same people over and over again you know and i think that i would argue that you you have to have values that again enable someone to understand how you work how you operate how you connect your efforts to the mission what fulfillment and reward and your evp looks like your values do a lot of work to help people really understand that but then a really diverse range of people could align with those values right and they could be meaningful to a huge range of people so create a culture where every single person who shares those values is welcome can succeed equally um but also think about equitable access right so equality is one thing but again it's quite easy for businesses companies to slip into something quite performative there we have to be equitable we have to you know really champion and stand up for the right thing and the right people um, who potentially need more of that um, but all of that effort if you're not actually looking at what the experience of being any given person at any given time in your business is like means that for me you're not you're not doing a good enough job so yeah it's about look at inclusivity as your target do what you can to increase your diversity and understand 
that whilst there is absolute work that has to be done in terms of observable characteristics, people do intersect and we need to be mindful of that in terms of the way that we approach culture. Um, so yeah, D&I being that way around is perplexing to me. I talk about I and D all the time, yeah. And by being able to bring your whole self to an inclusive environment, then you're more likely to connect with people because yeah. you don't have to pretend or constantly feel that you don't belong. Yeah, and there is a, you know, when as human beings, we are in close proximity and having to work with and collaborate with people who aren't like us, it takes a while, right? It is a bit like, oh, there is a, you're different, you're, we're cognitively not the same, but that is an amazing opportunity, right? And actually, if we create cultures where people kind of lean into that, we create incredibly close connections. You know, what, what we want is, like I said earlier, kind of this notion of a self-correcting team, a team that doesn't need management intervention, that is able to, you know, work with, through good leadership, supportive, compassionate, um, empathetic leadership and management. Managers that are coaches, right? Not managers, people that coach you to do better, don't tell you what to do. Um, the rest is up to the team. Like teams are very capable of being self-correcting and the more inclusive a space it is, the more diversity you have within that team, the more variety of perspective under this bracket of kind of, this is, this is the value proposition for you all. This is our mission. This is where we're going together. That's the dream, right? And that self-corrects people, spot blockers, spot problems. They have open conversations. They have honest conversations. They give each other feedback. They create psychological safety. Um, yeah, that's the dream. I make it sound incredibly easy. It's a no, lot of work, but it is. It is definitely. And I'm sure there is a lot of pain as well to change behaviors, like yeah. learning how to accept feedback. I'm pretty sure for like the first ten times are going to be horrible. You might cry when you come home, but then on the eleventh time, you might sit there and be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Well, and I also think it's about, I don't want anyone to go home and cry after having feedback. <laughs> but the, the way to avoid that is to normalise it to begin with. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, exactly. this is why we're doing this. Start with why, start with why. Start with why. Simon. Um, but yeah, it, it can be painful. And this version of leadership, right, this version of culture, of of being designers when it comes to people experience, starting with empathy, right? Like old school HR would go, okay, here's an initiative, here's a, uh, a people initiative. We're gonna go and lock ourselves away. And to be fair, it was often, you know, the business hasn't necessarily, businesses haven't necessarily enabled this part of the organization as well as they should. But it's common that you kind of go design, some, design something, create something, do something, to come in and implement it and then be like, well, why isn't there's low engagement with this? It's because you did it in a people vacuum, right? Which is the antithesis of actually being a good people function. If you're a good people function, you ask people what they want. You are agile, you respond, you iterate. You don't go and create something perfect and then try and layer it on top of existing systems and force people into using it. Um, so yeah, I think it's, 
it's this kind of design led approach that means that you have to you have to be really empathetic and being empathetic is painful another piece of kind of i guess pigeon neuroscience is that um when you are being empathetic when you're caring about someone else and we've all we've all experienced it right when you've been there for someone in your life who is going through something you feel the pain and you literally feel the pain. It's the same part of your brain that feels physical pain. It's the same part of your brain that's active if you broke your arm as when you're being empathetic. So we also need to create spaces where there is that compassion that goes with this, right? Where we give each other breaks, right? We're just human. We're all just doing our best and we're people and we feel and expecting that to not show up in the workplace is really naive um so yeah so i think allowing people to have the space where they can be honest be vulnerable share connect properly is crucial really really important thank you jenny okay, <laughs> a lot of food for thought for me i feel like i have waffled i feel like we've covered like i don't know like a master's of worth of <laughs> theory very quickly uh, no, but it's it's interesting uh, that you've picked up like all the good bits from <laughs> all this different stuff. Um, my, it's not my last question because I have a fun question at the end. Okay, I love to ask people. But if we could wrap up this session, um, what are some? Let's say, what are the three things leaders of today should start doing? <sighs> Um, or I could rephrase it in like no, it's fine. three takeaways three takeaways so three okay so I think the first thing is if you are not naturally inclined to think about people to be empathetic if you are aware as a leader that perhaps your EQ is not uh, your highest strength stop ignoring that and invest in some development because you're under the microscope and degrees of empathetic and compassionate leadership are are being like i say assessed discussed judged and i think progressively more and more as it should be people look at that as part of this kind of sense of reward right what is the culture who are the leaders how do they operate how are they role modeling what's the kind of culture that's going to be created um get a people person is my other piece of advice um too often businesses scale to too significant a stage in terms of yeah growth achievements goals metrics headcount uh without having a people person and someone who is there at a suitably visible level within a business um, to be able to influence decision making um third one don't don't react too quickly so at the moment and i think it's particularly relevant for now everyone is making quite rash decisions when we're not really come through this um and people aren't necessarily being asked what they want or how they feel i think I get it. Businesses generally have to make decisions quite quickly, but I think this is one area where, yeah, things have progressed, right? We're starting to come out the other side, 
but at the same time I wouldn't be kind of placing all my eggs in any particular basket unless I've asked the team what they want I've asked people how they feel or I have a people person and I'm an incredibly compassionate leader um so yeah I think it's lean into compassionate leadership as a concept even if it feels weird fluffy <laughs> it's not it's really not and it's important yeah look at having someone within your business who is thinking about your people and yes design think ask people what they want create an iteration roll it out make it better don't go away and make all eggs in one basket levels of decision or try and create something perfect and then go why isn't anyone engaging with this mm. be a design thinker because it's about long lasting impact and usually when you also rush into things you haven't thought you haven't had time to design like Rome was not built in a day it really was not and cultures form over time right and you don't you don't it's this kind of can I create culture probably not you can't go away for three months and then say right this is a quarter's worth of work here is your culture of course you can't um but you can nurture it you can coach it you know and a, and a coaching approach is to do that kind of bit around the edge right we we're all going in one direction it's about nudging it in at the sides it's not about command control yeah direction setting instruction giving <laughs> which is why actually the tagline of this event is designing for a connection it's yeah. not building for a connection and exactly that was the thinking behind it um so finally, my more fun question, and the reason it's fun, maybe it's because I love books too much, uh, <laughs> but yeah, maybe that's not a thing. Um, but what are some books, let's go again with the number three, what are three books you would recommend to future leaders? Future leaders? Yes, is it a tough question? <laughs> the problem with books, right, is that there are a lot of them. <laughs> And <laughs> everyone's like, read this book. This is your silver bullet. This is, if you read this book and you put it in place, everything will be great. And I just don't believe that's the case. I think that we should all read around, um, decide what we like and don't like and, and take the best bits. Um, in terms of books that have always been good to me and um, reliable sources of kind of inspiration or whatever, uh, definitely uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team um that is as a people person to me at times when particularly if i've been dealing with an approach to leadership that i haven't aligned with or i have found difficult or a particular leader who i've just been like what on earth um yeah it's an easy read in a really good way and it and it it has always made me feel particularly when it comes to kind of vulnerability and leadership that like yeah I am not barking up completely the wrong tree, but like, yeah, it's coming from the right kind of place. So dysfunctions of a team, um, definitely the book social that I've already referred to, which I've, I think is a really interesting, more kind of neuroscientific look at how we exist as human beings and also questions how a lot of what we've accepted in terms of adaptive human nature has perhaps been wrong we've perhaps been looking and appropriating things slightly incorrectly i love the fact that um the kind of thesis the ultimate kind of thesis of the book is that yes we are inherently wired for being connected social creatures and that 
yeah even if we're not thinking we are being social love it um and then from more of a I guess a kind of self-care perspective um particularly working as I've done recently you know with a lot of different businesses actually just how easy it is to become ineffectively busy you know we all say we're just busy right so for me having time to just stop think focus is really important so it's a book called time to think um by nancy klein which just talks about kind of the importance of independent thought and um yeah for me yeah not necessarily like i say kind of a overtly management theory or approach driven book but actually something that i believe in quite a lot having just time to think nice i should definitely read this book <laughs> <laughs> I think it would help me. It would be good self-help for me. Well, thank you so, so much, Jenny. I hope uh, I did you justice. And I say that to the audience as well as a first time interviewer. But hey, I tried. I think <laughs> you should also try your feedback, <laughs> receiving and empathy skills. Oh, we can talk about feedback <laughs> as much as you want. Interview skills. Uh, well, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so, so much. And thank you. Thank you so much for listening. It's my sincere hope you found something you can apply towards greater connection in your work life. If so, an honest review would certainly be welcomed. Reboot for Connection is brought to you by ScreenCloud. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And we'd be honored if you subscribe to this one. You may also email us at reboot at screencloud.com with any reactions or ideas you might have for us. Hope to catch you again next time.